0: The time is now. for episode 66. This is Employment Law Now, and I am Mike Schmidt, Vice Chair of the Labor and Employment Department at and O'Connor. So starting to get a little optimistic that we're at least looking to the future just a little bit. Sure, we're all still grappling with and trying to manage current issues and what's going on literally right in front of us at the moment, but we're also starting to look at the future. What will the next phases of legislation look like that Congress is negotiating? What will we be dealing with? What should we be thinking about when it is time to bring the employees back to work? I've got two great guests who have agreed to jump onto the podcast today to talk about both of those issues. Okay, so I've got two guests today uh, rejoining the podcast who are certainly no strangers to the podcast at all. Howard Schweitzer, you know him from appearing on each of my February anniversary episodes every year, uh, in addition to other times coming in to give some great information about what's going on in the government. Uh, He is the CEO of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies and also played a pivotal role as the COO of the Federal TARP Program. Uh, Also, Dave Barron, who has been a repeat contributor to the podcast here. He is one of my partners in the Labor and Employment Department, resident in Houston, uh, and represents employers and management in all traditional labor and employment law issues. Thank you both for coming on so quickly.
1: Mike, thanks for having us.
0: Thanks for the invite, Mike. Absolutely, Howard. Let me start with you. Um, such a, a big issue right now: funding. What's happening to it? How are we getting more? What's uh, Congress doing? A lot of businesses were told in the last few days that the SBA and um, PPP money has actually run out. What should employers be doing now if they need loans, need the money, and really don't want to start furloughing or laying off employees now?
1: Well, I think Mike Moore is coming there's no no question that more money's coming. I think maybe even as soon as today or tomorrow, there's been this extended negotiation between uh, Secretary Mnuchin from Treasury and the Hill, and they're definitely appropriating more money. Uh, and there's going to be additional legislation coming forth, um, you know, I expect in May. So So there's more to come. I'd hang on if you can. Look, I, what I'm telling clients is you have to manage your business. And whatever that means, it means. And if you can't afford to meet your payroll, then you've got to do what you've got to do. Uh, but I do think there's substantially more money in the pipeline.
0: Good. So, uh, you know, it's just a matter of uh, not if really, but when it's going to come and, you know, can these businesses hold on a little bit?
1: Yeah. Now that'll run out too. Because guess what? It's, there are a lot of businesses that qualify for the small business programs for the paycheck protection program. So it's going to run out again. They'll probably appropriate more money again. So it, it's, look, it's, they're going to have to do this thing on an incremental basis. It's just too much money. We're to, the need is too great um, to be able to, to do it all at once.
0: So we're also hearing that Congress is working on a potential new package of legislation and stimulus programs. What might employers expect to see and when do you think this is going to happen?
1: Yeah, I think it'll happen in May uh, when Congress comes back. Uh there were a couple of announcements today. I saw one from uh Senator Menendez who's negotiating a package for municipalities, talking about $500 billion of aid for municipalities and and states. And um, so there's going to be a steady stream of news over the next couple of weeks uh, leading up to a, an extended negotiation over a uh, CARES 2.0 or COVID-4, whatever you want to call it, Uh, but but a lot of legislating to to be done um, in the next few weeks. And so are we expecting when we get the...
0: the cares 2.0 or the corona the covid 4.0 whatever numbers we use are we expecting a package that simply has more funding or might we see new substantive legislation like you know the paid sick leave and fmla provisions that really began all of this
1: oh i think there will be an intermediate step this week with that it will just simply be some incremental funding then there will be another substantive legislative package Along the lines of what we've seen before in May,
0: interesting. And and I, I have to ask you this every time that we talk because it's uh, you know we, we're trying to have both sides of the aisle uh, come to an agreement on some issues that are really so important to people who are really suffering out there. And we know this is against the backdrop of the presidential election that's coming up in I guess seven months from now. How is the the upcoming elections? How is that? Playing into all of this uh, beyond the usual partisanship?
1: I think a a couple of different ways. One is that Trump um, wants the economy to be in decent shape or better shape or somewhat decent shape heading into the election. Um, So he's very motivated to get deals done and not that the economy is good at all, but to keep it. you know, from going over the cliff, so to speak. Um, so that that's one way. I think the other way manifests itself on the public health side. You know, the reason he's doing briefings every day at five o'clock is because he wants to be on TV. He wants this to be about him. He wants to be the conversation. He wants to be the subject of controversy. He's creating controversy. So he stays in the news. And that's all about the election. I mean, it's fundamentally who he is, and I'm not judging that one way or the other, but that's fundamentally what's going on here is he's trying to make himself the news because he believes that that's good for Trump. And he's probably right. And the, the media and, um, frankly, the, the, the pundits and even the other side, they're playing his game. I said this on our podcast over the weekend, you know, that he's playing, he's trying to make everybody else play his game and he's succeeding.
0: Well, and to the extent before I I finish up with my last question for you, as long as you mention it, what is the podcast you're referring to that we have plugged so many times here on this podcast? Mike,
1: it's the Beltway Briefing. It's must listen podcasting. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and uh, you, you're talking all politics on that. How often do you come out with a new episode?
1: It's every week. We come out on Saturdays. It is mostly politics. It's also government and policy. And we've alternated you know, these days between the two because, let's face it, there are some really tough policy issues, public policy issues, healthcare and economic facing the country. And so it's not, you know, it's not all politics because I mean it's inevitably part of, you know, politics and policy are intertwined. But we try to get into some policy substance as well.
0: Does your podcast have a snazzy theme song like I do?
1: Uh, it has a it has a music backdrop, Mike, and uh, it's very exciting.
0: Great. Um, The last question that I will uh, give to you before I turn it over to David. Um, Obviously, the Democrats, um, Speaker Pelosi and and all these other Democrats, you know, have some work to do to work together with President Trump and the other side of the aisle Mm -hmm. as well. As I said, so many people are are suffering here. Um, You expect to hear more from the presumptive Democratic nominee now, Joe Biden,
1: uh, stepping into the dialogue? It's interesting. So we talked about that this weekend as well. It's look, it's hard. It's hard for him to break through. He can't do rallies. He can't give speeches in front of raucous crowds. There isn't going to be a a convention in the normal sense of the political convention, you know, approach. So I think it's going to be very very hard and I'm sure they his team I know his team is hard at work on this right now it's how do they how do they break out because you know Trump has the megaphone and look I think I think the democrats in congress are doing a pretty good job of of having a voice um, but that's they're not running for president there's only one presidential candidate and you know, people seem more excited about the possibility of Andrew Cuomo running for president than they do the Joe Biden candidacy. Um, so he's got to find a way to to make himself the conversation. It goes back to my last point: if Trump is is the conversation, you know, he he doesn't give Biden any any opportunity to break through, and that's why he's doing what he's doing.
0: Yeah, it certainly. Governor Cuomo here in New York is getting some great press, though, frankly, until until I see him mocked on Saturday Night Live, I won't consider him a serious candidate at all.
2: There you go. Um, So the key, I guess the key is just having your own uh, spot on on CNN every day, right? I mean, Cuomo has his spot. Trump has his spot. So
0: amazing. It really is uh,
1: amazing. No, but Uh, I think, I mean, what do you think? It's hard for Biden to, it's hard for him to command any attention. And it's ironic
0: because, you know, a lot of people would say that that's what put him over the top and really hurt Bernie Sanders. Uh, The lack of an ability to have these mass gatherings uh, in person once the quarantine started, it sort of took him off the map and helped Biden. But to your point, you know, it's it's uh, impeding Biden a little bit right now. maybe.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, at the end of the day, the election comes down to half a dozen states And how those states vote. We know how everybody else is going to vote by and large. And it's Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Florida, North Carolina, Arizona. It's those, it's those states that are going to decide this election. And it's a sliver of voters in those states. And, you know, that's what it's about. But Biden needs, he needs, he needs to find a reason to get people to come to him, not just run from Trump. And he's he's struggling to do that. But, you know, he's a, he's got a lot of experience and he's got a lot of smart people around him and they're definitely thinking about it.
0: Well, we've got some time to continue to think about it and talk about it. And uh, I appreciate it as always, Howard. We'll see in the next few weeks, certainly as May rolls around what we get from Congress in the new package, whether it's just more funding, whether it's additional paid leave or other types of legislation. uh, We'll keep an eye on that, and uh, hopefully you can come back on and explain it to all. We'll do. We'll do. Uh, So, David, I want to turn to you now, uh, if I can. Sure. And the good news seems to be that companies are starting to think about and plan for the return to work and some semblance of normalcy. Uh, from the first standpoint, or from the threshold standpoint, how should employers decide who they should be bringing back when they can come back?
2: Yeah, I think what we're going to see is that's going to be very much a geographic question and an industry by industry question. You know, an office environment in Texas is going to be very different from a retailer in New York. So, you know, I, I think that's the the first step is trying to you know as a company get your arms around where your particular facilities are at in terms of the, the local conditions on the ground and you know what needs to be done because safety of course is the first question and the most important question so you know what does that look like for your particular you know worksite
0: and just like when it's decisions coming in regular times about firing, hiring, and everything in between, you want to make sure that decisions about who you're bringing back, when you're bringing them back, and under what circumstances are not disparately impacting, um, you know, protected class, uh, to, for lack of a better term.
2: Right. And there's, you know, the, you, there's like 100 different subparts to that. And that's what really makes this more complicated. And, you know, I, I know you, you and I, Mike, have been just on phone calls and emails for the last month and a half helping clients work through all these issues because they're just so complicated and un- unprecedented. But um, you know, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, trying to bring everybody back, many people may not want to come back. You know, we've got um, the pandemic unemployment assistance, that extra $600 is very attractive to many people. So, uh, you know, some of the clients I've talked to, it's hard to get on an unemployment, but once they're on it, they don't want to come off. <laughs> so, you know, if you're, if you're in that sweet spot where you might actually make more on unemployment or pretty close, then, uh, you know, it's real tempting to just to, you know, if you're, if you're a retail employee in New York, do you really want to come back and go into a retail environment where you're at risk? Or do you want to stay on unemployment and basically make the same income? So, again, depending on where you're at and what job level and pay you're at, th- those questions are very difficult. And, and then, you know, as an employer, what do you do with that person if they say, I'm not comfortable coming back? Do you fire them? Do you give them a you know, temporary leave of absence? Um, again, these are questions that often get into age and, uh, you know, health conditions as maybe the reason why they don't want to come back, which, which creates legal uh, dilemmas there. Uh, you know, just to make things even more complicated, if you look at the federal return to work guidelines, the, you know, the phased return to work steps that the, the president has come out with, you know, th- those guidelines basically say that for elderly and people with underlying health conditions, they should shelter in place to phase three, which is, you know, depending on what state you're in, that might be months away. So how, how do we, you know, what do we do with those folks? Do we let them stay on unemployment for the next two, three, four months, maybe longer, depending on where you're at? Or do we, you
0: know, are we required to accommodate them by allowing them to work from home? Um, or if we do c- we, or can we force them to come back? I mean, is that sort of a rule of law that the president uh, phased program? If you have someone who meets the definition of of the elderly um, folks who have to shelter in place, can we tell them that they can't come into work if they want to?
2: Yeah, I mean, these these are all really good questions, and I think you know the the touchstone is going to be, of course, don't discriminate, right? You know, um, if someone has a medical reason why they don't feel comfortable working, then. You're going to have to walk through that analysis, which is going to be different from company to company and job to job on whether you can come up with a reasonable accommodation that might be allowing them to stay off on a leave of absence, unpaid. Um, again, they might get unemployment, but, but you may not have to pay them. Um, or, or again, it could be working from home or some other type of accommodation. And I think you know that's going to be a big question that employers are going to have to be looking at for their workforce.
0: Yeah, we're going to have a whole host of new accommodation requests coming out of this. You'll have people who are perhaps in positions that regularly would travel for work, might come back and, uh, and you know, express some fear of, of doing that. People who may want to uh, or need an accommodation from PPE and mask wearing requirements. So I, I, I take it we're going to see a lot more in the way of accommodation requests, both disability and religious.
2: Yeah, and the interesting thing about masks, because I think that's going to become—you know—we we were like the only country that really didn't, uh, you know, get fully on board with masks. Europe, Europe as well, I think, in fairness. But you know, the the countries that were really all all in on masks, the Asian countries have had a much better experience with COVID nineteen. So I think, um, you know, I think we're probably going to end up in that direction very shortly. And many localities have already, um, you know, implemented requirements for masks out in public and grocery stores and and, um, you know, gatherings and things like that. So, I think we're going to see more of that, which is, again, going to create, of course, you know, issues for employers. So, do you, you know, you're, you're probably going to have to allow masks if the state and county is ordering it. Of course, you have to allow it. But, uh, you know, what if those orders are not particular to your workplace? Again, maybe you're not a grocery store. Maybe you're an office setting. So, do, you know, what do you do in that setting? Uh, you know, do you require masks in you know, public areas like going to the bathroom or a hallway or you're in, you know, does your receptionist have to wear a mask? You know, these may not be, you know, things that are crystal clear in the local ordinances. So, you, you know, you're gonna have to come up with your own rules on what you're going to require, keeping in mind that an employee who gets sick or heaven forbid dies um, and argues that they, you know, contracted it in the workplace. Now you're, it's a worker's comp claim or a lawsuit. So, There's a good reason to be concerned and try to come up with a good policy for the workplace so of what to do on things like ppe even in office environments
0: the lawsuit uh, reference is a great segue so uh, assuming as we are that at some point uh, we're going to be bringing employees back to the workplace Uh, It doesn't necessarily mean that we're doing so in an environment where, you know, there's no longer any coronavirus, there's no longer any threat to um, getting the coronavirus. Can or should employers get releases or waivers from returning employees? What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, I I think not. Uh, I mean, the question is going to be how to do that in a lawful way. That would comply with you know ada and other other laws out there so if, if you have an employee that is otherwise you have no reason to believe they're not healthy um you know the touchstone will be whatever you do for one you have to do for all so you, you couldn't require some special documentation from you know an at-risk person or an elderly person to, to allow them back to work and that, that's been a real problem because employers sometimes want to be helpful and proactive and you know i've had clients that have said well you know can we go to this person and suggest that maybe they should stay home? You know, um, and and that's a very dangerous thing to do to go to some maybe maybe you have a 70 year old person with with health issues that you think personally it would be a risk for that person to be working in a retail environment where they're around, you know, hundreds of people all day long. But that's ultimately that employee's decision. And it's very hard to 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 go to that person and require them to stay home or force them to stay home or refuse to take them back off of a furlough unless they provide some special release or certification if you don't do that for everybody. So uh, I I think that, again, sort of the rules of the road are going to be employers have a right to make sure people in their workplace are not sick. So temperature scans. um, I think we're going to see if the technology gets there. I think we're going to see COVID-19 testing. I think you're looking at meatpacking plants and these large facilities where they have lots of folks working closely together and they have the resources to do it and the technology is there. COVID-19 testing may be in of environments in addition to just temp scans which are really sort of you know half measures but ultimately i'm sure employers will test employees i mean imagine how eff- effective it would be if bringing back 100 furloughed employees and you could give them all tests right
0: yeah and one of the issues that we're seeing uh, around now when we're talking about temperature taking or or some of this other monitoring is the compensation aspect of it um, what do employers need to be thinking about uh, when trying to figure out if they've got to be paying these employees for the time it takes to take their temperature?
2: Yeah. I mean, hopefully you've, you employers figure out a way to do it in a very nominal way. So the time is not significant, but we've seen with the cases involving uh, bag checks and security checks in retail that, you know, plants lawyers are creative and anything they can argue is work time. They're going to make that argument. So uh, you know, if people have to wait in line, to get into their business, to go through a temperature scan, they're going to argue that that's for the benefit of the employer. Uh, You know, some ways for employers to to fight that would be if you're requiring it for everybody, not just employees, but customers and everybody that enters your facility. There's a better argument that it's not for the benefit of the the work itself. that it's a safety issue. So.
0: That makes sense. What about uh, companies that want to reclassify individuals who are coming back uh, perhaps from uh, exemption to uh, becoming non-exempt. Any real issues with doing that?
2: Yeah, it's it's of course dangerous. So anytime you move people back and forth, you're watering down potentially the exemption. So um, there there may be good reasons. Maybe you don't have enough work for that person. You need them bring them back part time. So again, you don't you, you want to move them over temporarily to a non-exempt role. That's fine. You know, I think I think our recommendation would be just clearly communicate what you're doing and why. If you're moving someone from an exempt role to a non-exempt role, put all that in writing. And then when you move them back to the exempt role, hopefully when business picks up, you put all that in writing. And it's very clear, you know, the dividing lines between the two roles.
0: And Bringing uh, employees back, certainly in a unionized setting, raises some issues as well uh, once the union is back involved. Are there things that we need to be thinking about from the company side, in terms of reintroducing the employees to the workplace and what we may have to discuss with unions in terms of doing so?
2: Yes, uh, of course, you know, the law requires a, uh, if, if, if a union represents a, a bargaining unit, typically the employer has to bargain with that union over terms and conditions of employment. And during a pandemic, that's things like, you know, how to handle temperature scans potentially. You know, we've, we've there's a lot of, you know, sp- special sort of emergency rights out there that the law has recognized. But again, those are very emergency types of scenarios. The longer this goes on, the harder it is to argue that, you know, the employer has a a right in an emergency to to do X, Y, and Z without taking the time to talk to the union about it. So I think the the, the good practice is to try to work things out with the union if they're involved so that you don't have unnecessary fights, keeping in mind that the first and foremost, the employer, even if the union disagrees With what you're doing at some point, if you think it's the right thing to do and the safe thing to do, then, you know, of course, the employer ultimately has the responsibility to do that.
0: We talk so much as uh, labor and employment lawyers, even before all of this, about training and training employees, training supervisors and management folks. Um, this really, uh, is no different in terms of the kinds of topic that you really want to be communicating with your supervisors, your managers, the people who are going to be in the trenches with the employees who come back. Um, would you say employers should be thinking about specific training to be done for this, uh, these groups of employees?
2: Yes, I think absolutely. I mean, these are new response. I mean, it's, it's crazy to think that we have a document from the federal government that says that. You know, on the way back to restarting our economy, one of the obligations for employers is to do temperature scans and to potentially be doing testing and and contact tracing and, and all of these things now that, you know, are, are joint responsibilities of, of government and employers so that, you know, it's company that has those responsibilities. It's going to be individual managers who are supposed to be policing people who are sick and they have to know what to do if they if they sick. So these are substantial new responsibilities that managers probably didn't realize they were getting into when they signed up to be a manager. So they need to know how to do these things lawfully.
0: Yeah. Um, any, uh, any other takeaways? Obviously, the workplace itself is going to be quite different from, for some time, even when we're back to phase one, phase two, whatever phase you want to call it in the beginning. Uh, Any other takeaways that you have for employers uh, to be thinking about now as they start to plan for this eventual return to work? Yeah,
2: I think the big one, this is just sort of an overarching one, and you talked about training, is understanding that, you know, we're going to see a lot of lawsuits probably coming out of this, discrimination lawsuits, things like that. And, you know, everybody's going to want to talk about coronavirus in the workplace. Everybody's going to want to talk about their experiences and their families that got sick. And it's, but all of, you know, the, those things get into protected classes all over the place. I mean, we would be telling our clients in seminars and trainings, you know, your, your managers should not be having 100 discussions a day with employees about medical issues. But the temptation is going to be there more than probably any event in our lifetimes. And, uh, you know, people are going to want to know. I mean, for example, you're, when people are coming back who have been gone from the workplace for three or four months, employers are going to want to know, did you get sick? right i mean cuz maybe they're immune i mean these are questions that logically we would want to know and people would want to be talking about but arguably are illegal so you know it's going to be very tricky for employers to navigate this and have a workforce where people are not talking all the time about the elephant in the room and 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 that to me is a very very difficult thing to manage
0: yeah did you uh, did you get sick are you immune did you take the quarantine even seriously you know what were your activities Uh, During the uh, the few weeks, the the few months that uh, you've been out, Uh, there there are going to be temptations, not to mention one of the things you start off by saying before when you're talking about the discrimination aspect of it, the whole xenophobia uh, reality here, people are going to be looking to blame perhaps uh, certain groups of employees and, you know, whether it's discrimination, harassment, are you retaliating against whistleblowers who are now coming into the workplace and looking to spot all of the dangerous uh, aspects of the uh, physical work environment? These are things that managers, supervisors, and HR folks are going to have to really uh, give some thought about when they're planning the return. Yeah, times 10. (laughs) <laughs> uh, so Dave, uh, you and, the, uh, and our Labor and Employment Department have been staying on top of all these issues, doing uh, weekly and, and bi-weekly webinars. Uh, you've got another one coming up that you're leading uh, this coming Friday, April 24th. Uh, what's the webinar this week going to be touching on?
2: Yeah, so uh, a very timely topic. In fact, the same one we're talking about today, which is the, the big return to the, to the workforce and how to do that in a way that's lawful and practical. So we're, we're going to be spending a lot of time from every angle, you know, from benefits, from obviously the things we've talked about on absenteeism and safety, uh, you know, so we're, we're going to try to hit all of the hot topics on how, you know, what employers need to be thinking about and putting their strategies together. We're also going to have a checklist uh, available, you know, on Friday. So we're going to try to give employers the resources they need to be able to get people back to work.
0: That's great. Um, And certainly if you have not received an invitation uh, to register for Friday's webinar yet, you can always find uh, the webinar registration link as well as our other coronavirus task force materials by going to COZEN.com and clicking the banner that refers to the coronavirus task force. Uh, Howard Schweitzer and Dave Barron, I really appreciate you both coming on. As always, this has been helpful and we uh, look forward to, Howard, your continuing podcast and Dave, uh, this coming Friday's webinar to dive a little bit more into detail in a lot of the issues we just talked about.
1: Thanks, Mike. Mike, thank you. Well, I hope you
0: found that informative and useful for your organizations. Thank you, as always, for listening. I hope you and your families and colleagues are all staying safe and healthy. Until the next time, I also hope all of your labor is productive.